Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and welcome to another episode of The Dental Amigos Podcast. I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be talking, Rob. It's good to see you, Paul. And thanks, everyone, for uh, tuning in to uh, another episode here in our third season, uh, so to speak, where we're talking about practice buy-ins, a little on the... uh, buyer side, a little on the seller side, and uh, trying to give people some things to think about. And we've said in previous episodes, from our perspective, yeah. uh, buy-ins can be the the trickiest Yeah, high risk, high there. reward. You know, yeah. there's a lot of, there's a, a tale as old as dental time buy-ins, you know, from back in the 1940s and 50s, all the way to some unique, creative ways to look at them today. Yeah. I mean, it sounds easy, uh, but far from it. And and I, and I we talked about this in a previous episode, but I think people really have to wrap their brain around this. So I will continue to yeah. say it. Uh, this is the ultimate time where one size does not fit all. For sure. You know, there's just every situation is different. You know, there is some sort of basic parameters when you're talking about a practice acquisition, there are sort of basic things when you're talking about a startup, but it's really kind of all over the map when you talk about a buy-in, how it how it, it can be structured, some pitfalls, things to to try to do to ensure success. So this more than any does not lend itself to like kind of plug and play, oh, this is 50 buy-ins, they're all done the same way. Um, I agree with you. I, 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 you know, I'm a big acronym guy with all the not just stuff, but ROI I always say is not just return on investment, but also your relationships, opportunities, and impact. And it really fits here because you know, what are the re- what's the relationship between these dentists? What is the true opportunity? And then really looking at what kind of impact it's gonna have on not only just your finances, but also your family when you do this. Yeah. Yeah, it's big, and, and and it also impacts the people that work in that practice. And as you say, you know, when you do these deals, you can't give them back, and right. they're very yeah. hard to undo. So, without further ado, uh, today we're going to talk about when to do it. You know, when should you think about bringing on a partner? When should you think about transitioning into the partner role? Uh, and have an ownership stake in a practice. So, Paul, from you want to start from the the practice side or the uh, or the the buyer side? I think it's best to start from the buyer side for a couple of reasons. And some of the things I'll share about the fundamental parts of this decision, you know, might seem obvious, but they're often overlooked. Is that the when part is when the buyer, the associate dentist, if we're talking about an owner associate, wants to live in that area forever. Because mm-hmm. I think whether it's your spouse and the dental field, Rob, is an awesome uh, array of, you know, you know, men and women now are equally graduating from dental school. So when, you know, in, in my dad's day of being a dentist, most were male dentists and thinking, you know, what is your wife going to say? Now it's really saying whatever spouse is going to be buying in, the other spouse has to know we're living here. 
And right. we're living here pretty much forever, you know, and I know forever is dramatic, but let's just call it <laughs> two plus decades, yeah. which is a big part of people's lives, sure. right? So if you're 32 years old and you're not sure you want to live in that area, if you're one of the spouses, you have to have some uncomfortable conversations because what's great about dentistry also makes it challenging, Rob. You really can't move around. You can't do it from your laptop out in California. You can't decide after two years, hey, I don't like this. I want to, you know, sell this piece. And I think maybe, you know, you can kind of talk about this, like selling a solo practice is much easier than selling a piece of your buy-in. Oh, so, yeah. you know, you now have embraced this other dentist kind of, you know, literally and figuratively yeah. and you're in it together. So from the buyer side, think to yourself before you introduce this topic, before you have this conversation, is this the place you want to live? And then also, you know, uh, dentists can be single too, but then that creates another restriction on your geography because mm -hmm. if you meet someone and says hey i met someone we want to move to napa valley that sounds like a great place to live rob that sounds so bad, you know yeah. uh you have to unwind yourself from practice and i've been involved in these deals and i know you're involved with them and it's very complex to find someone to take your place so it's not starting off negative it's just starting off with do yeah. you do you want to live in this area for the next two plus decades right yeah it's almost like we could stick with some other analogies you know like it's almost like the difference between buying a house you can buy a house and right. sell a house but if you get married, that's a different that's a different scenario. So, yeah. you know, if you buy a practice, yes, you can sell a practice and move to Napa Valley, right? Yeah. Um, but if you buy into a practice, it's going to be a lot trickier to extract yourself from that For partnership. Sure. Dental term it, extraction. So I just think from the buyer side, are you ready to live in that area? And then are you ready for that next step in your, we'll call it your leadership dental journey, right? Mm -hmm. Because I've used this example, I think it's a good one. An associate, and I have great ones, they're aunts and uncles of the practice. They give the practice back. On the weekends, they technically have zero responsibility right. to that practice. But right. as a parent, that practice, you know, and Gary Vee says, people people said to Gary Vee, when do you stop worrying about your business? He said, easy, when do you stop worrying about your children? And yeah. the answer is never. Yeah. So, you know, not worrying dramatic way, but stuff happens inside of a dental practice. And when you have bought in and you are a parent of that practice, you're involved in the good, bad, and annoying, I'll call it, Rob. And that's the next step, which is more not, do you want to just live in that area? Are you ready to take that step in your leadership journey? Right. So you're saying like, you just don't buy in and just make more money and it's easy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It's just, I thought, I thought it was simple, Paul. Yeah. It's a, yeah so There's it's more a, to it than that? Yeah. You actually have to do stuff There's and stuff, take on I'm, more I'm responsibility? I'm a big sports fan. You know, there's stuff that doesn't show up on the stat sheet and I'm not talking about the hustle factor. I'm talking right. about the cry inside factor. Uh-huh. And, you know, I have to share with you, you know, I, I, I feel very lucky from my own experience and also, you know, with these buy-ins, you know, when the, when, the, when the practice owner, when this has happened and the practice owner has been, you know, let's just call it a practice owner and associate, Rob, for a decade. And now they have a partner that they bought in. They're excited to share some of those hassles. Oh, I mean, for sure. That's the exciting part. Okay. Well, they should be. <laughs> yeah. And if yeah. they're not, that there's, that, yes. that, uh, there's a big that's yellow actually flag. A good, that's a good, good point. There could be a blue, you know, blue pen versus black pen control factor. Mm -hmm. But I think most of the time when they get to that point and they've signed documents and they say now we are partners and you proverbially shake hands i know that if i was 50 and my partner was 40 i'd say well now is the time you're going to learn to help me deal with a lot of these things i've been dealing with yeah. that you might not know about right, right. and I just think that's, you know, it's, it's not for everybody. You know, owning a dental practice is really awesome. And it's, you know, I was a lecture last night. I said, raise your hand if it's awesome. And they said, and they raised their hand. I said, raise your hand if it's annoying. And they kept it up. It's the A words, <laughs> that right? Was an honest, yeah. uh, honest group. Yeah. So, you know, I think in this, when, you know, like we can talk from the seller in a second, but from a buyer, 
Are you ready for the geography? Are you ready for the next step in that leadership journey? Um, which also requires a team management part that you might not be doing as an associate. Yeah, and I think, you know, look, I think it's okay too if you're not and you don't yeah. want to do it. I, I think a lot of people in a lot of respects and a lot of ways in life kind of do what they think is the next thing that they're supposed right. to do and you know, sort of check the box. You know, I went to, you know, got good grades in high school. I got into this college, yeah. so I went there and then I got good grades in college and then I went to dental school and then, you know, I did well in dental school and now I've got this associateship and now I've been an associate. So now I have to buy this practice. Like you, you like at a certain point, like if, if it's not something that you want to do, right. You know, maybe you shouldn't do it. However, that being said, let's be honest, if there are certainly money-making opportunities and wealth-generating yeah. uh, benefits to practice ownership that really don't exist or not as readily sure. available as an associate. And then sometimes resentment can build in. And you know, I say this actually, you know, what I hope comes off to our listeners and you're of as an authentic way, you know, try to find someone who's been an associate someplace for more than 10 years at the same place. It doesn't happen that often. Right. And sometimes it's because they want to embrace that associate life and move away, right? And they didn't leave the practice because they hated it. They just left because they moved across the country. But I think after a certain period of time, the owner-associate relationship, I don't know if the right word becomes stale, but be just maybe there becomes resentment on both sides, right? The owner saying, this associate's making all this money and I'm running the place. And the associate's yeah. saying, I'm making all this money for this and they're running the place, you know? so. I think uh, if the practice grows to a revenue standpoint where it can support two dentists, partnership becomes a reasonable thing for both parties to start to think about if they want to maintain that relationship. Yeah, yeah, that's true, and 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 that and that goes back to what we've talked about in some earlier episodes. The seller or the owner, practice owner, has to be realistic with that. Yeah. That you know, there's going to be some trade-offs that right. you know, you are going to maybe offload some responsibility or delegate some additional things. But then you're also going to make a little less money, possibly right. too. Um, we were talking about this before we went on today, sort yeah. of like wanting to have your cake and eat it too. Right. You know, like this is really you know another theme that we've talked about in this season that you know unrealistic expectations that you know you're going to have more time and make more money like th yeah. that that doesn't really exist in this professional paradigm that we are all living in you For know sure, that, I mean. that's like a silicon valley thing like yeah. uh, dentists and lawyers haven't really figured that yes. secret out yet like we have to work to, to make money you know? and it's a lot of the you know it's kind of like you know it kind of comes to the fundamental nature of partnerships that re it's sharing it's sharing of a lot of things and sharing money means that the existing owner is usually going to be sharing some of the profit with their new partner, you know, they get money for the buy-in part too. This is why I think it's a good time to share that. Ask this, ask your team of advisors that you hopefully have what they think of you. And if they think you're, I mean, I don't know, Rob, you develop great relationships with your clients. It's reasonable if someone say, do you think I should get a partner? And maybe say, no 63-year-old dentist who's worked by themselves for 30 years, yeah. right? <laughs> now is not the day to get someone to look over your shoulder, clinically, business, team management. I mean, they're, they're, you're having someone with the legal right to check in on your decisions. And I think that that can be difficult for a lot of dentists who aren't used to having that done. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good transition to the seller side, Paul, I think. you know, So yeah. from a seller's standpoint, I mean, you just threw out a, a common scenario and something that we see frequently and find ourselves counseling and cautioning people on on a regular basis, which is, you know, you're buying into this practice, you know, does the seller really want to share 
right. responsibility. You know, are you paying for half of the practice but not getting half of the say, so to right. speak? You know, and um, because I think uh, very much, probably more so in dentistry than any other profession I could think about, it really is this sort of lone wolf, this one right. person out on the island that is surrounded by various, you know, paraprofessionals and 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 support staff that are uh, that are helping them run that. But ultimately, you know, most dental practices, you've got that one person, sure. you know, and now it's a big, big shift to say, okay, after 30 years, now you're going to change, have to change that mindset, you know, and share that responsibility sure. and not expect that everything that you say to the person at the front right. desk is going to be accepted and that whatever your 50% partner says is going to be rejected. Like you have to be willing to enter into a relationship. So we'll keep sticking with these relationships. Yeah. I think we've all had these friends that, you know, they're in their, their early 50s, you know, and they've never been married. Like, right. I, that's a tricky person, right? Like yeah. I, I would not introduce them to a very good friend of mine. Right, right? because they're used, to, they're used to their routine. They're uh -huh. used to their regimen. And I think also when you're thinking of a, a, a you can't, this is one of the worst, I mean, you, you're hungry, you look at french fries, they're not healthy, but it was a reactive decision, just kind of lives in a moment, right? You're annoyed at your dental practice, you wanna get a partner, and it's a reactive decision to you, you're gonna regret that. Because what I mean by this is, the seller being frustrated with running the practice alone, the way to solve that isn't necessarily to have a partner in the practice, mm -hmm. because they have to realize that how long do they wanna do this post-partnership agreement? I think sometimes the sellers don't have, a, you know, they say, okay, let's be partners. And then I want to sell the whole thing in four years from now, right? It's not the time to get the partner involved because now you've complicated the asset that you're going to sell. Right. Yeah. And that, that's an excellent point. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about that today. And then also in our, our next episode, which is, you know, what does this look like as far as an exit strategy, you know, and uh, it can be tricky. You know, I think sometimes people think that, well, I'll just, you know, bring on this associate, they'll buy in half or whatever, a third, a quarter, and then they'll just buy me out when I'm ready to retire. Okay. What if they don't? Right. Well, I, I was involved in a deal like that where the, it was a, you know, the age gap, I think, is important to think about. I like to say live your life in the most because dentists are very literal people, Rob. So if you say, you know, crowns usually last five to 10 years, someone will shout through their car, one of mine lasted 30 years. Like, oh, I know, but most, you know, are lasting five to 12 years. And I think most good partnerships in dentistry don't have these massively different age gaps for two reasons. One, life situation is just way different, right? Mm -hmm. You've got a 57-year-old grandfather and a 28-year-old newly married person partnering, mm -hmm. they got such different life situations, right? Right. The complicating factors that have them inside and outside that office are like totally different. Then how long are they even gonna do it post-partnership if one's 57 and the other's 28? Mm -hmm. And I was involved with a deal where the younger one, the older one wanted to sell, and the younger one didn't want to buy the half, and I had to find them someone. I actually found them someone, it was very hard. Wow. It was, it was, I was a, proud of it. Right? You pulled a rabbit was, out of the hat. Proud, but they, but it took them easy. almost two years. And the yeah, older partners wanted go. to leave, so sellers, right. if you're listening, this person could not leave practicing dentistry until he found a replacement mm -hmm. for himself. Mm -hmm. And it was a very hard thing to do. Yeah. Well, so, you know, trying to sell a half a practice right. is a lot harder than selling a whole practice. And we'll talk about that in the next episode when we're talking about how to find a deal. But that that is, a, I wouldn't say a questionable, it can be a risky 
transition strategy right. to, to think that. Because you really, as the practice owner, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. You yeah. know, that it's like saying, you know, I, you know, this, this, you know, great big world that there's one person out there for me. Right. We, we're doing a lot of relationship metaphors yeah, 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 today. Exactly. Paul, so we're going to stick with it, right? Yeah. But like there's, you know, trying to find that one person, you know, that's going to be able to, to fill that, that role. It, it can be hard and you definitely limit your buyer pool when you, you do that. And again, and if that person who owns that 50% of the practice can't come through, they can't get financing, right. they get sick, disabled, they have some sort of change in life circumstance, i.e. like their spouse moves to Napa, right. you know, and now all of a sudden they want to go. Now you find yourself at the time where you're thinking about retiring, or at least, you know, the game plan was, this is when I'm going to start the process to be to be out of yeah. here, now you just found yourself buying this person out. Now, that may not be the end of the world because now you own the whole thing and you get to sell right. the whole practice. But what does that look like from a value standpoint where you just lost your your 50% you know, producer for in sure. the practice? Um, you're not going to be able to sell the practice for what it's worth. What are you buying that person out at? That's That can yeah, be a, a tricky I think thing. that's what we go back to looking at from the seller when to do this is when they know they're going to do it and stick with it for a while. And if, you know, if they don't want to kind of stick with it for a while, then just, you know, the, we've talked about through all these podcasts, you could have an owner and associate happily working together. Mm -hmm. And that may be the nature of that practice. And maybe if the associate leaves to start their own practice with ideal practices, you just get a new associate, right? right. That may be your practice model. Or you could have, you know, I also think we can add in as we kind of, you know, wrap up, but like, if it's a, if you're a solo GP, and you're growing rapidly, and then you get an associate, and now you're both growing rapidly, there are some cool opportunities to maybe buy another practice together, to do something else, to expand the building. Right. These are exciting entrepreneurial-related endeavors where maybe a partnership does make sense. Mm -hmm. But when I'm describing this, I'm thinking of someone who's 37 and 31, you know, 45 and 40, not necessarily someone who's 60 and 30. So it kind of goes back to, when you, if you're if you're on the selling side of this, what's your real strategy for growth post time mm -hmm. post partnership? Because I think the person buying in just to wrap up with them from my perspective is they're going to want to make more money. They're going to want to do something more. So if they just buy in and they're making less money and you're not growing together, that can be the partnerships. I mean, Rob, you've seen them dissolve too, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, and that's not good. Yeah. I mean, I think though, you know, in, in fairness to the the we'll call them the older retiring doc, uh, I think you probably reach a point where how many associates you've had, you know, it's yeah. like, okay, um, I'm 60 years old. I've had five associates. I know that they're going to stay for a few years and I have to find somebody else. And sometimes I find good ones and sometimes yeah. I, they're not so good. And, you know, I'm just at the point where I've had it, you know, I've had enough and, and I'm ready to, I'm ready to be done with this. I don't have the juice to, to, to do another yeah. job search and, and deal with all the aggravation that goes with that. Because, I mean, we're talking on these episodes a lot to people who haven't done this before. Yeah. You know, that's a lot of the audience here. But yeah, there are people that are at that stage of their career who have done it a bunch yeah. of times. And they know. They don't have to hear from Paul and Rob what goes into transitioning an associate or bringing on a new partner. They've been right. down that road and they're just tired of it, you know. But- I think sometimes in those situations, you know, and, and I think a lot of people realize this because there is such an active transition market, but 
sometimes it's just better to just sell the thing right. at that point. And depending on the size of the practice, obviously, if you're going to sell the practice to a DSO, they're going to require you to stay on for some period of time. Yeah. Um, so if you're ready to be done with a lot of the aggravation, not that selling to a DSO removes all aggravation yeah. for your life because we'll plug back to something we've discussed before that you will continue to be the only right. person in that practice who's going to solve the problems on a daily basis while DSO often Texas right. is you know collecting collecting the money and you know telling you what to do but uh, you know there you reach a certain point where it might just be better just to sell the whole thing right. and then continue on as an associate sell the whole practice to your associate you don't have That's, to sell 50% I think that's a really good point. I mean, sometimes the old switcheroo just creates a really clean, easy system. And, you know, maybe you fulfill your obligation. I just had someone in Del Nachos. I like her very much. She sold her practice, worked as an associate, ended it, and she started another practice herself, a small one, outside right. of her recovery. That's okay, too, right? I think she actually, maybe in this story, she even moved. So it's like, you know, I think this kind of goes, my message is get good advice from people who do this all the time. Right so that you have context about what happens to people. That's a good point. And especially for dentists, what goes wrong when you don't plan properly? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'll say this too, and, th th and what we just talked about will be our cliffhanger for, for the next episode, talking about yeah. some of those, you know, how to find a deal and, and issues with uh, associate buy-ins or selling to your associate. Uh, but I think as much as anything, you're going to work with people to avoid problems, but then also working with people to let you know what your options are, that right. there are other ways to do this. And I think that a lot of this is similar to what the advice we give people that want to be a practice owner. You know, you know should I do a startup? Should I buy a practice? Right. You know, what you should do generally, if there's any should in that, is uh, you should be open-minded. Right. You know, be flexible, you know, be, you know, look for what the right opportunity is at that particular time. You know, it's, it's like you storm around and say, I'm going to buy a yellow house. Right. <laughs> I'm going to buy a yellow house. Yeah. You know, any, it's like, that's a really nice house, but it's blue. I will only buy a yellow house. And you found it. I'm like, you found your yellow house and your yellow house is kind of a, you know, a dump. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, that's never a good mindset. And I think with all this, it's like, working part of the thing is the same thing when you're bouncing things off of friends and good advisors is understanding what what other ways there are to do and what your options are. And I think the more open-minded you are to you know, what is available at that time, the better off you'll be. Totally. You won't end up trying to force some model that doesn't work in your situation into you know the square peg or yeah. the round peg, square peg, round hole, whatever. Great advice. All right. On that note, thanks, everybody, for uh, for tuning in. Tune in next time. We'll continue this discussion about uh, dental practice buy-ins. And, uh, folks, if you like the uh, show, we ask you to please give us a good review on uh, Apple or Google or wherever you listen to. And uh, thank you for tuning in today. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on the dentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www 
orangelinemg.com. Till next time.